Okay, so today we'll uh, start with chapter 10 of Deuteronomy. So last week uh, we were in chapter 9, and we saw that when Moses uh, went up the mountain, uh, he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. And when he came back with the two tables, uh, which had the Ten Commandments, uh, he was uh, disappointed to see the people of Israel. They, were, they had made a golden image, and they were dancing around it and worshipping the uh, idol. So we saw that Moses, uh, maybe in his anger or in his frustration, uh, he broke the tables of stone on which were the Ten Commandments. But we also saw that he destroyed the idol completely, uh, which gave us a picture of how we need to take out sin uh, from our lives. Uh, it needs to be destroyed completely. So he destroyed the uh, idol. He made it uh, into a powder and he uh, let it down the water so that it was completely gone. But we also saw that Moses had a heart for his people. So even though he was very disappointed and angry with them, uh, he, he prayed and interceded for them uh, with God, calling on God's uh, faithfulness and also calling on God's uh, covenant promise that he should not uh, destroy the people of Israel, but rather uh, he should uh, forgive them. And we also saw in chapter 9 that God made a surprising offer to Moses that he would destroy the Israelites and he'll build a nation after Moses. But we saw that Moses uh, did not uh, take that offer. Uh, instead, he chose to intercede uh, for the people of Israel. And in chapter 10, we see the continuation of it uh, in terms of what happens uh, next. And uh, we can divide the chapter by looking at maybe a few questions. Uh, the first one is, uh, what was different? about the Ten Commandments uh, that were given the second time. So the first time when it was given, it was broken by Moses, as we saw in chapter 9. And here we see it is given to him again the second time. And in verses 6 and 7, we can see how God uh, dealt with Aaron uh, despite his sin. And in verses 8 and 9, we read about Levites, uh, what were their responsibilities and what was their inheritance. And in 10 and 11, we can see how God responded uh, to the prayer that he had made uh, in chapter 9, the prayer of intercession. And verse 12 till the end, uh, we see what God expects uh, from his children. And in verse 16, we also read about the circumcision of heart, which we can consider at the end. So we'll start with the first uh, five verses. Uh, and see what was different uh, about the Ten Commandments that were given the second time. Okay, so in the first five verses, we read about the, uh, the Ten Commandments being given the second time. And we also read about the Ark. So we'll just focus a little bit on the Ark of the Covenant, since that's also important. And the question was, uh, what was different uh, about the Ten Commandments uh, that were given the second time? And the answer is, uh, there was nothing was different. Uh, we see in verse 3 that Moses made two tables of stone, uh, just like the first one. And in verse 4, we read, uh, God wrote on the tables uh, according to the first writing. So we see that there is no uh, change in content. Uh, the Ten Commandments that God gave the first time, uh, he's going to give them the second time. And if you ask God the hundredth time, uh, he's still going to give that same Ten Commandments. So we see that the Word of God uh, endureth uh, forever. And oftentimes we are twisting and changing the words uh, to suit uh, our lifestyle or to suit our thinking. 
but the word of God uh, cannot be altered and it should not be edited. We need to receive the word of God the way it is given and we need to apply the truth of the word of God uh, just the way it is given and only then the word of God will bring life uh, into our life and it would be a blessing. But when we start uh, editing God's word, uh, which we often see happening, or when we cut out portions of God's word to suit our uh, thinking or to suit our lifestyle, then obviously we are diluting God's word and we are departing from his ways and uh, it doesn't lead to blessing. And we also see the obedience of Moses when we read verses one and three. Uh, Moses uh, is given very clear instructions uh, in terms of what he should be doing. He is asked to take two tables of stone, uh, just like the first one, and he is asked to come up the mount and to make an ark uh, of wood. And when we go to verse 3, we see uh, that is exactly what Moses does. Uh, we see complete uh, obedience uh, on top, on the part of Moses. Uh, he doesn't ask uh, any questions. Uh, he, he doesn't debate what God told him to do. Uh, he makes an ark of Shittim wood, and he makes two tables of stone, just like the first one, and he goes up into the mount. And that is what God expects uh, from, her, from us. When God tells us to do something, he expects us to obey uh, completely, and he expects us to obey uh, immediately, uh, without asking any questions. And that is what we saw uh, among the disciples when Jesus uh, asked them to follow him. Uh, the Bible records that they left the nets and followed him uh, immediately. So that is the kind of obedience uh, that leads to blessing uh, in our life. And here we see that in verse 4, uh, when Moses obeyed, uh, God also responded and he wrote uh, on the tables as we read in verse four. And the same thing is true in our life. Uh, when we take the first uh, step of obedience, uh, we see that God also starts moving and he helps our life to move forward uh, as we continue to take uh, steps of obedience. And when we start uh, stop obeying God, we also see that God stops uh, revealing himself. Uh, we go away from God's ways. Uh, we are not able to figure out uh, God's uh, perfect will for our lives uh, because we have stopped obeying God uh, completely. So we see that the secret of uh, hearing from God uh, is also tied to our obedience, which is complete and which is immediate. And just very briefly on the Ark of the Covenant, uh, we read about it in uh, Exodus 37 verses 1 through 7, and also in the New Testament, uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 3 and 4. So in Exodus 37, 1 to 7, we see that uh, it says, And Bezalel made the ark of Shittim wood, and it gives the dimensions, uh, two cubits and a half was the length of it, and a cubit and half was the breadth of it, and a cubit and half was the height of it. Again, we see that uh, even in terms of dimensions, uh, it's very perfect. Uh, it's very precise in terms of what God expects and how the ark should be made. And in verse 2 of Exodus 37, it says, uh, he overlaid it with pure gold uh, within and without and made a crown of gold uh, to it round about. And he cast for it four rings of gold 
to be set by the four corners of it, uh, even two rings upon one side of it and two rings upon the other side. And he made staves or poles uh, of shittim wood and overlaid them with gold. So the poles were obviously made so that it could be carried uh, from place to place. And we know that uh, before Solomon built the temple, the tabernacle was simply carried from place to place. Uh, even when they were wandering in the wilderness, uh, the Levites would carry the ark uh, from place to place. And we also see a reference uh, to the mercy seat uh, of pure gold. And again, we are given the dimensions, uh, two cubits and a half the length, and a cubit and half the breadth. And we read about the two uh, cherubims of gold, uh, beaten out of one piece made he them on the two ends of the mercy seat. And when we come to the book of Hebrews uh, chapter 9, uh, again we see a reference uh, to the ark. And we are told uh, where the ark was placed. Uh, it was placed uh, after the second veil, uh, the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all. So that is where the ark was placed. And we are also told uh, what was uh, inside the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, there was a golden pot that had the manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. So this was a very important uh, piece of furniture as the people of Israel were wandering from place to place in the wilderness. And finally, uh, when Solomon built the temple, we again see that the Ark of the Covenant uh, occupied an important place uh, in the holiest of all. And as you look at the ark, uh, there are a few things that, that comes to mind. Uh, the ark, uh, it speaks of God's presence. And when we read uh, the Old Testament, we see that oftentimes God met uh, Moses uh, at the ark. As we read in Exodus 25, 22, it says, and there I will meet with thee and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all the things which I will give thee in commandment uh, unto the children of Israel. So when people were carrying the ark uh, from place to place, uh, it signified uh, the presence of God uh, in the midst uh, of the people. And we also see that when we look at the ark, we can think of it as God's uh, provision because inside the ark, we see the golden pot with manna and obviously it was manna that sustained uh, the people of Israel in their journey. And it also speaks about uh, Aaron's rod. And also inside the ark, we see God's wisdom because the 10 commandments are kept uh, inside. And when we think of the ark, we can also think of God's uh, blessing or God's uh, prosperity. Uh, as we read in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 11, it says, the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Odam, the Jittite, three months, and the Lord blessed uh, Obed-Odam and all his household. And finally, and importantly, the ark also speaks of God's uh, mercy. So the lid of the ark is uh, what we call the mercy seat. And when we go to the book of Leviticus, uh, it speaks of the mercy seat. Uh, being the place where blood is uh, sprinkled uh, to make uh, atonements uh, for the sins of uh, Israel. And in Hebrews uh, chapter 9 and 22, we read the same uh, thought. 
and almost all things are by law purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission. And of course, uh, in the New Testament, the cross uh, points to the mercy seat. Uh, the cross uh, is where we receive uh, forgiveness and cross is where the blood was shed so that we could receive atonement uh, for our sins. So Ark is a beautiful picture, which reminds us that uh, if the presence of God, uh, if we have the presence of God uh, in our life, uh, we also see that uh, all of our needs are met, uh, whether it's spiritual, physical, or whatever it is, uh, all of our needs are met. And we also see that if God is present uh, in our life, uh, we are able to utilize the wisdom that God is able to give us uh, through revelation from his word, or when we are in communion with him. And we also see the blessing of God in our life, and we also see the mercy of God. So these are some thoughts that come to mind when we think of the ark, which was uh, obviously very important uh, to the people of Israel when they were in the wilderness, and also when they built the temple. But also for us, uh, it gives us a beautiful image. Uh, when the Lord is present, uh, the blessings are also present. So that is why Psalmist also writes in Psalm 16, that in your presence, uh, there is fullness of joy. And in your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So if God is not present uh, in our life, then we would see that uh, many important elements uh, in our life are also missing. So in verses six to eight, uh, we see how God dealt with Aaron uh, despite uh, his failure. We know how God uh, dealt with Moses uh, when he failed. And in six to eight, we get a different picture of God of how he dealt with Aaron. Okay, so here uh, in verse six, uh, it's stated very plainly that uh, Aaron died and his son ministered uh, in his stead. But we know historically that uh, Aaron committed a major sin uh, when Moses was up in Mount Sinai, uh, communing with the Lord and picking up the 10 commandments, uh, as we saw in chapter nine. Uh, Aaron was uh, building a molt molten calf or he was building an image uh, he when people told him they wanted uh, to worship uh, they simply gave away their golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron so that's from Exodus 32 verse 4 it says and Aaron received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf so we see that uh, Aaron was uh, directly involved uh, in making the molten calf, uh, even though he was second in command uh, after Moses. And by doing that, uh, he broke the second commandment, which is uh, we should not have any uh, graven uh, image. So the punishment that Aaron deserved and his children deserved are what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, which reminds us that uh, the Lord thy God is a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers uh, upon the children unto the third and the fourth generation of them that hate me. So in a way, uh, Aaron deserved uh, punishment for what he did, which was making uh, the graven uh, image. But as we see that God was merciful to Aaron, uh, which again follows from the intercession that Moses did uh, in chapter 9, so Aaron was not destroyed, 
and he did not lose his office or we can also assume that he did not lose his leadership. Uh, he continued to lead uh, the people of Israel. And we also see that uh, his children, they were not impacted uh, by his failure. Uh, Eliezer, his son, uh, ministered uh, after his death. So we see that uh, the blessing continued uh, to Aaron's children uh, in terms of continuing the priesthood that Aaron had, which was passed on to his children. And in Numbers uh, chapter 20 uh, and 25 to 28, we read about Aaron's death. It says, uh, take Aaron and Eliezer, his son, and bring them up unto Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments, and put them upon Eliezer, his son. And Aaron shall be gathered unto his people, and shall die there. And in verse 28, it says, Moses stripped uh, Aaron of his garments, and put them upon Eliezer's son, and Aaron died there in the top of the mount, and Moses and Eliezer came down from the mount. So we see that uh, when Moses uh, interceded for Aaron, uh, God was uh, merciful uh, to Aaron, which again reminds us that uh, we can reverse uh, God's judgment or we can uh, intercede for others and we can seek uh, God's mercy, we can seek God's blessing on them, uh, even though they might be living in sin, uh, even though they may be drifting away from God. Uh, if we have the burden, then we should uh, intercede for them and, and seek forgiveness uh, for their sins. So that's a challenge for us. Uh, it is uh, oftentimes we don't have a burden for those who are living in sin. Uh, we tend to shy away uh, from them, or we may criticize them, or we may condemn them. But we need to be like Moses, that instead of uh, condemning or instead of criticizing them, uh, we need to stand in the gap and intercede for them. So in verses 8 and 9, uh, we see the responsibilities and inheritance of Levites. Uh, in verse 8, we are told uh, three responsibilities of Levites. Uh, they would uh, bear the ark. So when they are going in the wilderness, uh, it is the Levites uh, who would carry the ark. And they would also stand and minister to the Lord on behalf of the people of Israel. And they were also responsible uh, for blessing uh, his name uh, as the responsibility. And in Joshua 3.13, uh, we read, uh, It shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord shall rest in the waters of Jordan. The waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above. So when we go to Joshua chapter 3, we see that when they were about to enter uh, Canaan, they were confronted with the river, Jordan River, just like they were confronted by the Red Sea when they left Egypt. And they were given instructions that when the priests who are bearing the ark, uh, when they step into the waters, the waters will start parting and they would be able to walk on dry ground. And in verse 9, we read about the inheritance of the Levites, uh, and we see that Lord uh, is their inheritance. And we also read in Numbers uh, 22, verse 20 and 29, 21, And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Thou shalt have no inheritance in their land, neither shalt thou have any part among them, I am thy part and thine inheritance among the children of Israel. And behold, I have given the children of Levi 
all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance for their service, which they serve, uh, even their service of the tabernacle of the congregation. So they were not given any share in the land when the land was distributed uh, to the tribes, but the Lord himself was their inheritance and they were sustained uh, by the tithes and the offerings and the sacrifices that were made uh, by the people of Israel. And in Genesis uh, 15 and verse 1, uh, we read about Abraham. It says, uh, fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding uh, great reward. Again, that's a great verse uh, that reminds Moses uh, of his relationship that he had with God. And God could tell him that uh, he is the exceeding uh, great reward. So oftentimes we associate reward and with riches and material blessings. Uh, but if God is our exceeding great reward, then that is where we would find the greatest joy. And that is where we would find the greatest uh, blessing. So we need to ask ourselves uh, what or who is our inheritance and who is our reward or what is our focus uh, in this world when we are building our inheritance and rewards. Even in Deuteronomy 18, that we'll cover later, uh, it again speaks about the inheritance of the Levites. And in verse uh, 10 and 11, we see what was God's response uh, to the intercessory prayer that was made by Moses uh, in chapter 9, where he uh, prayed to God, uh, calling upon God's uh, attributes, calling upon God's uh, covenant promise, and asking God to forgive uh, the people of Israel and also not to destroy them. So we saw this last uh, week when we talked about the intercessory prayer of Moses in chapter 9, uh, 26 to 29. And here we see that uh, Moses had just returned uh, from the Mount Sinai after he received the Ten Commandments. And he was already there for 40 days and 40 nights. And now we see that he's going back again, uh, fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, interceding on behalf of the people of Israel. And here in verse 10 and 11, we see uh, God's response uh, to the prayer that Moses made. So there is nothing uh, magical about 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, it was the uh, spirit of prayer that matters. Uh, Moses was sincere uh, in his prayer uh, for the people of Israel. Uh, he, uh, he had a sincere burden for the people of Israel. Uh, it's quite possible that he might have received the same response, uh, even had he fasted and prayed uh, for 10 days and 10 nights. So we should not take it uh, as, as a rule that we have to fast and pray 40 days and 40 nights to receive a response uh, from God. So God is always uh, looking at our heart, uh, even if we are praying for one day and one night, or even half day and half night. Uh, if our prayer is sincere and if our heart is clean, uh, we know that God will hear our prayers and he will answer it uh, according to his perfect will, according to his perfect time. So here we see God's response is God heard. God heard the prayer, which is what we also want to experience. Uh, we, don't, we don't really care how God answers our prayers. Uh, we want to be sure that God is hearing our prayers because we don't really control how God will answer our prayers. Uh, he may say yes, he may say no, he may say wait uh, when we ask for something. But we need to have the assurance that when we are praying, that God is hearing our prayers 
And we should have the faith and the confidence that when we pray, God is going to hear. And God is responding in a positive way. Uh, the Israelites uh, were not uh, going to be destroyed, uh, which was the request uh, that Moses had in chapter 9, 26. And we also see that the Israelites, uh, they will continue their journey uh, to the promised land. So in a way, God is uh, completely uh, forgiving their sin. Uh, he's not imposing any penalty for the sins that they committed. And he is uh, letting them go uh, with the journey. He's letting them continue with the plan that he had for their life. In the same way, in our life, oftentimes we commit sins. Uh, but So we need to confess our sins so that we can get back on track and we can continue our journey that the Lord has planned for us uh, even before we were born, as it says in Jeremiah 1. So we see that Israelites are given one more chance by God, because as we have seen before, God is not only a God of justice, but he's also a God of mercy. So we often say, uh, so we have many opportunities to intercede in prayer. Uh, so we have weekly teleprayers, we have monthly fasting and prayer, we have monthly church prayer, and we also pray at the table where we can say Amen, and that would be our prayer. And we also have other opportunities to intercede in prayer. It could be in our personal prayer time. It could be in our family prayer time. It could be in small groups, or it could be when we pray with someone one-on-one. -on -one. So to intercede in prayer, as we've seen, as we've seen from the life of Moses, uh, it's an important uh, discipline that we need to have. It is also an important burden that we need to have. And we are, we, are, we are blessed that we have many opportunities uh, within the local church uh, to do that. But we can also do it personally and also in our family life. And question number five is, uh, what does the Lord expect uh, of his children? So we'll break it up into a few sections uh, between verse 12 and verse 21. And in verse uh, 12 and 13, uh, we are given a few things uh, very uh, clearly and very directly. Okay, so 12 and 13 is very clear and it's very direct. Uh, when we ask the question, what does the Lord uh, expect uh, from us with whom he has a covenant? Uh, we can see that the Lord is telling them to fear the Lord, which is like a holy uh, reverence. It is asking them to walk uh, in his ways. Uh, when we say walk in his ways, uh, it is complete obedience, walking in all of his ways, uh, as we read in 5. Deuteronomy 5.33, and to love him, even as we saw in Deuteronomy 6.5, that we should love God with all of our heart, soul, and might. And then it says uh, to serve him, uh, we should serve him uh, willingly, we should serve him joyfully, and our service uh, should be prompted by love uh, for God, love for others. Uh, the service uh, should not be motivated by doing works uh, for the sake of doing works. But uh, service uh, should be something that will come naturally uh, because uh, of what the Lord has done for us and what we want to do for him and for his people. And finally, it says, uh, keep the commandment of the Lord, which again speaks of obedience that we've been reminded of several times. And verse 12 and 13, uh, it also sounds very similar to Micah 6, 8, uh, where we are told to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. 
and Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 12, when we come to the very end, uh, Solomon gives the conclusion uh, after going through many uh, different uh, seasons of life. Uh, he says that the conclusion uh, is to fear God and to keep his commandments. So that is all we need to do uh, in this world. And that is what the Lord expects from each one of us to fear him, to walk in his ways, uh, to love him, uh, to serve him and to keep his commandments. And when we do that, the, we are told the result, uh, it is uh, for our good. So God is not giving us uh, all these commandments uh, to punish us or to make our life miserable. But we see that when we follow his word, uh, it results in good things uh, in our life. It results in blessings in our life. It results in peace and joy and happiness. And uh, according to the Old Testament, uh, Keeping the laws uh, is also our righteousness, as we read in 625. And not only that, uh, we see that uh, when we keep uh, God's word, uh, the blessings will also flow uh, to the next uh, generation. As we read in 529, uh, it will be well with our children. So all of these are good reasons for why uh, we should do what the Lord is asking us to do even as we read from 12 and 13. And in the subsequent verses, uh, we see uh, who is God uh, or why does God deserve our worship and obedience. And in verse 14, we see that uh, everything belongs to God, uh, heaven and earth and all that is there. And in verse 17, we read, he is the God of gods, Lord of lords, great God, mighty and terrible. And in verse 17, we read, uh, he is no respecter of persons. And again, in verse 17, uh, we read, uh, he does not take bride. And in verse 18, we read, he's compassionate uh, to the fatherless, uh, widow and strangers. And in verse 21, uh, we read that he has done great things. Uh, of course, uh, none of this is uh, new to us. Uh, these are some of the attributes we are reminded of uh, quite often. Uh, especially during uh, worship time. And here again, we are reminded uh, who our God is. And once we know who our God is, uh, then we know that we need to worship him. We need to obey him. And in verse uh, 22, uh, it reminds the people of Israel that when they came out, uh, there were only 70 people, uh, as we read in Exodus 1.5. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls. But now they are multiplied as the stars of heaven, which again speaks about the blessing on the nation of Israel. And verse uh, 21 is a beautiful verse. It says, uh, he is thy praise and he is thy God that hath done for thee these great and terrible things which thine eyes have seen. So the people of Israel had seen many great things that the Lord did in their midst uh, during their 40 years. And having experienced all that, uh, the natural response uh, should be to obey God and to worship him. And the same thing is true for us. Uh, we have experienced uh, many blessings and many miracles in our life. And our response should also be the same, which is to obey and worship him. And I'm going to close with this, which is verse 19. It says, uh, love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. And this is what we also see is the spirit of uh, US. Uh, US is one of the most uh, friendly country 
in terms of inviting uh, people from outside the country. Or that is the spirit in which this country was built. And that is the motto that we read uh, also in the Statue of Liberty, which says, uh, with silent lips, uh, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, earning to breathe free, uh, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless uh, tempers tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. So that is the spirit in which this country was built. And when we go back to the roots, when we go back to the foundations, uh, when we go back to Deuteronomy, God is telling us the same thing. Uh, love the strangers, because there was a time when we were also strangers in the land. The other way of looking at it is once we are born again, uh, we shouldn't look down on the sinners, because there was a time when we were also living in sin. Uh, we were also doing all kinds of things uh, that are not right in the eyes of the Lord. So just because we are saved, uh, we should not uh, be looking down on others who might still be living in sin. And it also goes back to the second commandment that we need to love our neighbors as ourselves. Okay, so we see that uh, in the first question, what was different about the Ten Commandments? Uh, we see that nothing was really different. God gave the same commandments the second time because the Word of God does not change uh, with the seasons of life. Uh, what we see in the Bible is given to us forever. So we cannot tamper or uh, change what is written in God's word. And we saw how God dealt with Aaron despite his sin. So obviously God forgave uh, Aaron of his sin uh, when Moses uh, interceded for Aaron. And Aaron's blessing was also transferred to his son uh, who became the priest after Aaron died. And we saw the responsibilities of Levites uh, who were responsible for uh, carrying the Ark of the Covenant and also to we saw what was their inheritance. God himself is their inheritance. And we saw how God responded to the intercessory prayer of Moses. Uh, he heard his prayer. Uh, he forgave the people of Israel. And they were allowed to continue in their journey. And we saw what God expects of his children. Uh, he expects us to fear him. Uh, he expects us to obey him completely. And he expects um, to worship him. So the circumcision of the heart uh, with this light. And in Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, uh, circumcise yourself to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doing. But I like uh, what we find in Romans 2 and verse 28 and 29. Uh, which is more practical, which is more applicable to us uh, in terms of what God expects uh, from each one of us. So God is not expecting a physical uh, circumcision of flesh uh, as they did in the Old Testament uh, as a symbol of separation or as a symbol of being a chosen generation. Uh, as we are reminded in Romans chapter 2, 28-29 by Paul, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So a circumcised heart uh, is a heart that has been touched uh, by God. Uh, it is a work uh, that has been completed 
uh, when we are born again and there is an internal change that happens uh, through a regenerated heart. So a circumcised heart would also be a heart we can say is sanctified. Uh, it is separated and it is completely surrendered uh, to the will of God. Uh, it is a heart that is obedient and which is led by the Spirit. That's the kind of heart that God is looking for, a heart that is circumcised.